So we're going through the book of Mark right now. And last week, we talked about the disciples being called. And Jesus went out and he called the disciples. And some of the disciples knew who he already was. Some of them had heard rumors about who he was. And some of them had been introduced to Jesus by the John the baptizer. And a lot of them were around Galilee and around the lake. I've got a few pictures here to try to show you. Because it's always interesting to me. I've never traveled there. One day I hope to. But you can see the Sea of Galilee. Because sometimes we think of, of it being kind of small. And I think last week we said the Sea of Galilee is roughly 15 miles long. And about six miles wide or so. And so... You can see how it's kind of situated there in the center, and it's quite large. You have cities uh, around it. In fact, uh, the Sea of Galilee was called uh, the Sea of Tiberias before as well. So let's go to the next uh, picture. That's pretty, isn't it? How many of you want to go there next week? Let's just have church there. So, yeah, this is, this is it now, and you have the mountains and the hills, and... Uh, the sea itself is about, I think they said 720 or so, 717 feet below uh, sea level. So it's kind of down in a valley, and you have uh, the tributaries running into it. I've got another picture here. Isn't that gorgeous? This is from a hilltop overlooking it. So you can see why Jesus wanted to do a lot of his ministry around here. He had a lot of little towns there, kind of country, smaller towns. Not, not Jerusalem, not the big cities, but an area where there was a lot of population dispersed around this lake. And it's interesting because we still kind of like to disperse around lakes, don't we, and, and water. Um, and so there's a lot of fishermen on this. There was a lot of uh, people that were making their money and income from the water itself. And Jesus calls a good number of these guys to come and be his disciples. We talked about it last week, how it's easy to read that and, and feel left out because we don't live in the time of Jesus as far as like being physically with him, walking the same ground, being in the same area. But how many of you know that Jesus has called everyone to be his disciple? Some of you, right? He's called all to be his disciple because, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So when Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins, who did he die for? All of us. Every one of us, in order to purchase of all of our iniquities, in order to set us free, and in order to bring us into his household, in order to bring us into the kingdom of heaven. I've, Kim, uh, that last song that we did, I, I haven't heard that one before. And it's interesting because it says, a little bit of heaven on earth. And we've used that, that phrase around here before, too, because if you look in Scripture, all, all throughout, even in the book of Mark, you're going to see Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven has come. It's, it's drawing nigh. It's near. It's almost here. It is here. You see the kingdom of heaven. And, and you look around, and how many of you realize that sometimes it looks more like hell than heaven? You with me? Like some of the stuff that came out, I was talking with Chris this morning, and there was... Uh, a shooting in Buffalo, I, it, that, that's a little bit of hell on earth. Uh, we have people that are, that are battling disease, sickness, like even within my own house. That isn't heaven. Like in heaven, 
And the idea of heaven, uh, we have people that are well, that aren't crying, that, you know, aren't getting shot, aren't getting murdered, aren't, this stuff isn't happening. Uh, so when we look around the world, it's easy to see uh, little bits of, of hell on earth. And I, I don't think anybody, even people that don't believe in Jesus or God at all, people that are atheists, you really don't have to convince them that there's evil in the world, do you? And in fact, a lot of times, that's the argument they have against God, is like, well, if God is loving, if God is good, then why is there evil in the world? And I think that evil in the world is proof of something, but I think it's proof of the enemy. I think it's proof of Satan. I think it's proof of demons and angels that are fallen and, and twisted, broken things. I think it's proof that humanity is broken and in need of a savior. So I come to a different conclusion. Because when I look around, I see evil, but I also see good. How many of you would say you see good? And the truth of the matter is, if we're really honest and if we're keeping score, we might say that you know, we see a lot more good than we see truly evil. But the presence of evil is very dark and very strong. The presence of good is very strong and very light. So when we have this clash in real life, so if we're going to say that the presence of evil gets rid of God, then we also have to say at the same point, it's a bad argument, because we have to say that the presence of good must point to a good God. You with me? Because if we have a concept of what good is, then God must have given that to us. That's what I would argue. So the same argument that's used against God, I would say, points to a God, because otherwise, where do we come to the conclusion that evil even exists? It's just things. It's just random things happening, because you can't moralistically say that evil exists if there isn't good. So good and evil both exist. You with me? And so I think evil proves that there is a broken world in need of a savior, I think good proves that God is doing a work still within this mess. And the further proof I have within scripture is when I turn to Revelation and I see that the kingdom of heaven is eventually firmly established and it rules throughout the land. When that happens, when that happens, it is all good. It is heaven. You with me? we are going to see the transformation of all things into the image of Christ. And so people say, why is there suffering in the world? Why is there bad? Why is there illness? You know, if God's, if God's real, then why is your wife home at sick? Why are you feeling sick? And I'd say, because it's not over yet. We're in the middle of the story. You with me? So we, we want to be back in the disciples' time, but realize you're still in biblical times right now. You're in the in-between time of when this is going to establish. You're in the battle. The war's already been won, but there's little skirmishes still happening. And we are a part of that. And so then we're tasked with this thing to do what Jesus did, to bring light into the darkness, to be the church to a lost world, to be hope for people that are in despair, to bring a little bit of heaven on earth. Why? Because we're walking in the Holy Spirit, and we are all called by Jesus. You with me? That's why you're important. One of the reasons you're important is because God has called you to do this. You are in the ministry of reconciliation. You are in the ministry of bringing heaven to earth. And so whenever you do something good for, for others, you are helping them. And we said this last week, we are on a mission to bring people into the kingdom of heaven by changing the world, what? One soul at a time. 
So it's so easy. It's so easy to look around at all the evil and think we got to fix it all ourselves. This, this week, um, John Waple and his lovely wife, Cindy, were over at my house, and they installed a door yesterday. That door had been sitting in my garage since, I think, November or December because I was going to do it. Now, here's a couple things you need to know. I have hung doors before, but never an exterior door. And the other thing you need to know is I'm horrible at it, and I hate it, and I don't want to do it. So it sat there, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get that done someday. How many of you have, I'm going to get it there someday, projects at home? They did way better than I could do. They did it quicker and with less Christian swear words. Some of you know what I mean. Just mutterings under my breath. I, so there are things that, that God has allowed me and gifted me to do and grown me in and things I have patience for and things I don't have patience for. The deal is, as believers in Jesus Christ, you're not called to do everything. You're only called to do the things he's calling you to do. And you need to allow the church to do the other work that you don't like to do. You with me? So, so as believers in Jesus Christ, we're not called to do everything individually that Jesus did. There might be moments where he calls us to do something, but collectively as a church, we do the ministry of Christ. So instead of, of looking at the verses and thinking, I've got to do everything that Jesus did, you have to realize, no, that's what the church is called to do together. We're called to do this work together. And, and so we're looking at this, this fight against light versus dark, uh, this fight against good versus evil, and Jesus steps into the fray, he steps into the fight, and he takes it on himself. And he shows the church what we're called to do. And by that, some of us are called to do the very things we're going to read about today. Some of us are called to pray for people that are doing that. Others of us are called to, you know, talk about it and teach on it. And, and so when we realize that the ministry of the church isn't just me doing everything by myself and hoping it's enough, but it's the church combined doing the work of Christ, we have a better idea of, of what we're called to do. So Mark 1, 21 through 28. Eight. We're going to look at Mark 1, uh, 21. So if you have a pew Bible, you can pull that out. If you have your, your journal there, you can look at that. This is a really interesting scripture because you see uh, display of power and authority that Jesus has in, in uh, Mark 1, 21. During this, uh, Jesus is out and about in his ministry, and he, he starts uh, speaking to, to people. And then there's things that are happening when he's teaching. And we'll see this. Verse 21, it says, And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So Jesus went to church, essentially. Now, on this Saturday, it was as his normal. He probably went there for a long time and wasn't always teaching, but he went, as was his custom in other verses, it says. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had what? Authority, and not as the scribes. So we don't have a lot of records of what the scribes or how they were preaching. So this was a question I have. So what's the difference in Jesus' teaching versus the scribes' teaching? What's the difference? How many of you have been taught by somebody who has never actually done the thing they're teaching? 
That's frustrating, isn't it? Because if you ask them a question and it isn't in the book in front of them, they're like, I don't know. Watch YouTube. It's, it's frustrating. How many of you have a child that knows everything? <laughs> and they try to teach you when you're teaching them. Yeah. That's, it's, it's annoying, right? So that's one of the things I think that's happening here is Jesus has inside knowledge, doesn't he? Jesus understands what's going on in the hearts of, of men. He has the Holy Spirit that's within him. He has this power and authority, and he's living without sin, so he's not corrupt, he's not bent, he's not deprived. He's, he's the second Adam we see in Scripture. He is completely human as everyone else around is broken. And he's also completely God, so he has a little bit of um, authority there, doesn't he? And not as the scribes. So then I was like, well, what would the scribes do? And so I, I researched this, which is kind of funny, and you'll see why in a second. Uh, because in the first century, apparently, they would name drop. They would say, as this rabbi teaches, or as this teacher says, or as this doctor says, or as this lawyer says, and they would name drop in the middle of their messages. It was kind of like if I was talking to somebody about finances, and I said, well, as my good friend Dave Ramsey told me, which isn't true at all, okay, you with me? Or if I'm, I'm preaching, you know, sometimes I'll reference other speakers, or I'll, I'll make a quote of C.S. Lewis, or Tony Evans, or somebody else. It was name dropping. It was basically, they were wrapping their messages and building their sermons, around what other people have taught and none of their own experiences. And so Jesus comes and does something very different. He's a rabbi, he's like them, but he does something very different, and they notice it. They notice he's teaching differently than others because he's speaking with authority, but he also is doing something that they really haven't seen since the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if a prophet got up and said something, and if he wasn't just talking his mind or speaking his opinion, he would say, thus saith the Lord, or thus says the Lord. This is what the God's, God says. This is what the Lord says. And everyone's ears would perk up, because now that person was claiming to speak the very word of God. And if they were lying, they were subject to the death penalty. So if it didn't come to pass, they could be killed. So these prophets weren't making stuff up unless they were really dumb. They were usually speaking the truth. And so then they would, they would get up and they would say, this is, this is what the Lord says. Well, in Matthew 5.21, we see Jesus doing something very different. Let's look at that verse. Matthew 5.21. Uh, well, I don't think that's it. But anyways, is he goes, Verily I say unto you. And he gets up and he starts going through some of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe. And he's, what he's saying is not, this is the teaching of the Old Testament. He's not saying, as Scripture says, or as this happens. Instead, he's saying, who is saying this? He's quoting himself, which is a little bit weird, isn't it? That's, that's like if I was teaching you and I said, as I always say, or I speak in the third person, as Ben says, you'd be like, oh, this guy's weird. I mean, I am. But he speaks with authority. So he says, uh, and, and he'll, in Matthew 5.21, he says, You have heard it often said that thou shalt not commit murder. Don't kill. But I say unto you, whoever speaks a bad word, whoever harbors anger within their heart, 
has committed murder within their heart. And so before that, he says, I've not come to erase the law. I've come to expand it. And so he's claiming what? He's claiming authority beyond Moses. He's claiming to be who? He's claiming, claiming to be God. And so when they hear that, that's very different. It's a very different way of teaching. It's not even how the other cult leaders at that time would teach. It's not how somebody claiming to be the son of God would, would teach. Because what he's saying is, I'm standing on my own authority in this matter. And my words rise and fall on their own. So he's claiming something very different. So instead of saying, uh, you've heard it said, he says, I say unto you. I am telling you. This is my firsthand knowledge. I'm not playing the telephone game here. That's what he's saying. So the scribes would often do the opposite. They would speak about the other rabbis or the doctors. And if you think about this, this makes sense. Because uh, how many of you, well, how many of you know a little bit about somebody by where they work? Or the business they run? Or the job they do? Guys, we ask this all the time, right, gentlemen? Back me up, please, somebody. What do you do for a living? You ever ask that question? And then if you find out what they do, you have a little bit of idea. Maybe their personality is in sales. Maybe, maybe they work with their hands. You have a little idea of who they are or what they spend a lot of their time doing. And, and so uh, in the old, the time, the first century here, they would find out, what house had you studied under? Like, who was your teacher when you were a rabbi? You know, who, what school did you go to? And sometimes people ask that of me, and I say, well, I went to Taylor University, Fort Wayne, but that was really Fort Wayne Bible College before that, so a few years before that, and a lot of the professors were the same. And if you went back and if you knew those professors, you may be able to know a little bit about me and how I've been trained. So they would do the same thing. They would have these rabbis that they would live with, and they would mimic exactly what the rabbi did. They would try to live everything to the extent that it got kind of weird with some of these guys. Like they, would, they would try to figure out how many kids to have based upon how many kids their rabbi had and how to make the kids based upon how their rabbi made the kids. That's weird. You with me? So this is, it was to the point where they were mimicking and, and following exactly what the rabbi did. So you would live your life to become a carbon copy of your rabbi. So when the disciples, when Jesus said, come and be my disciple, the, the people that were in the fishing, the, all the disciples that eventually became the apostles would try to mimic exactly what Jesus did. However, when Jesus is teaching, he's not referencing others. He references Old Testament sometimes, but he doesn't reference other rabbis. He teaches on his own. So it's interesting, too, if we go back, the first, the first time that we see Jesus teaching is in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. And it says this, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know. <laughs> All right, you have the first Home Alone experience, but it's the New York. It's like part two, right? He's lost in New York, basically. And, and they're going back. They're like, well, how could they forget? Well, they had other kids. If you've had a lot of kids, you know that you can leave them behind sometimes. <laughs> also, I think Jesus was maybe the easiest one to take care of. He's like, ah, Jesus is fine. He's the son of God. He knows what he's doing. He's protected. 
And so they're back, they're coming back, and, and apparently they thought he was traveling with the cousins. Maybe he's running with the cousins uh, on the way back home, but he's not. So, but supposing him to be in the group, they went on the day's journey, but then they began to search for him. Like, hey, they had that, that Kevin moment. Kevin, where is he? And, and they realize he's not there, so they start going back, and he's not among the relatives and acquaintances. So, next verse. And when they did not find him, they returned to where? Jerusalem, searching for him. Where is he? After three days. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine losing a child for four days? They had the day of travel, right? Maybe it was, maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was five days because they have the one day of travel, one day back, that's two days. Three days in the city looking for him. Five days, they lost a 12-year-old. That would, that would cause some tension in my marriage. <laughs> if I lost a child. Now add on to that. They're looking for Jesus. The son of God. They lost God's kid. The savior of the world is lost. You think Mary and Joseph aren't sitting there going, we, we shouldn't have been trusted. We messed up. Man, I'd be panicking. I bet this short, you want to know why Joseph isn't mentioned later on in the New Testament. It's probably because he died of a heart attack years later. Man, that would be nerve-wracking. So they lose him. They lose him, and they can't find him forever. And after three days, they found him where? In the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him, so you see that he's listening to them, he's asking them questions, but then he's also doing what? He's talking too, it seems he's teaching. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were probably ticked off. They were astonished, and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so how many of you had your mom or your dad say, you almost gave me a heart attack? That's basically what's going on here. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I'm, I'm sure she's yelling this at him right now. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them because they were so mad. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. She remembered them later. So when we look at this, we see that Jesus himself went to church. You with me? That Jesus himself was learning, but he was also teaching at a very young age. Twelve years old, he starts teaching. It's not really the beginning of his ministry there. That's not the initiation, the big part of his ministry. But you see that he's already walking in this. His interest is there. His desire is there. So uh, I find that incredibly uh, interesting. And uh, I, I actually stumbled upon, and there's an Old Testament reference to, uh, to this as well, because in another section of Scripture it says, and he grew in wisdom, he grew, uh, in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. That is actually a reference to another verse in the Old Testament as well. And that's our goal when we're raising kids, to help them grow up, Right? 
to help them grow in favor with God and with man. So very, very interesting. All right, so let's go back into Mark here. And we see, we see uh, verse 23. Right, is it there, Joy? I'm trying to find it. We're black screen. I don't know if everything turned off. It would make sense that that would happen today. Okay, that evening at sundown, they brought to him, to who, who's him? It's Jesus. All who were sick or oppressed by what? Demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. So according to this verse, demons can cause sickness. Now, does that mean all sickness is caused by demons? Not necessarily, but it can. And it can cause oppression. So what does oppression look like? It means tribulation within your body. It could mean uh, mental illness. It could mean that you're having a real difficult time. Does that mean that all mental illness is caused by demons? No. Does it mean all sickness is caused by demons? No. But in this verse, it says that some of these were. And so he was collecting these people. Everyone who was sick or oppressed was showing up and trying to get delivered. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. So what happens next? And he healed. Everyone say healed. Many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out what? many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So it wasn't really his time to have everybody know exactly who he was. This is kind of known as the mystery of Christ. It's the idea that Jesus's ministry opens up and becomes broader, and you even see that after his ascension into heaven in that it goes to the Gentiles. But you have, uh, you have these demons that are being cast out, and he would not allow them to speak because he didn't want them to know who he was at that point. Okay, so uh, verse 23, it says, Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Where are we? What is happening? All right. We <laughs> Let's look at this. You got your Bibles open. We're going to look at the Bible here or the journal here. It says, verse 23, And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they what? Obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So you see that Jesus shows up with authority. His teaching has authority. It makes sense. It goes in a direction, and he's speaking what is actually happening. And it also is showing up with power. When I, when I was in school, the, the, uh, some of the people that taught me would be considered more along the cessationist uh, 
line of thinking. They believe that a lot of the miracles of today don't happen, at least in Western society, for a number of different reasons. It could be because we're not praying and asking for them. It could be because a lot of these demonstrations of power and authority we see in Scripture led to evangelism. Meaning that the reason, in part, why Jesus was doing this was to help others, yes, but also it led to their salvation. If you see somebody get a demon cast out of them, if you see an exorcism happen, if you see somebody grow another arm, do you think that's going to amaze you? Yes. Yes. Do you think that's going to draw a crowd? Yes. Yes. And now, we're not talking about charlatans. And when I, when I say that, I, I understand that there are, and throughout, throughout history have been, people who claim to have power and authority that do not. There are people that have tried to cast out demons and they shouldn't be doing it. There are people who said that they're faith healers and are not healing anybody. They just put on a show and then they collect your money afterwards. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is casting the demons out. They're responding to him. They're reacting to him. And he is healing people. That's what Jesus is doing. And when they see Jesus doing it, they say, that's different. How many of you would say, that's different? Like, if I, if I had that ability right now and I just started doing you'd be like, wow, this is crazy. Hold on to your seat. Something weird's happening. And so they start collecting around him. And they start looking at him and seeing all these things happen. And verse 28 says it so well. And once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee, he went viral, folks. When he started doing this stuff, he got big. People started noticing who he was in the ministry that he was doing. And when we look at these verses, there's, there's uh, three or four things, actually five. I can't count. There's five things that I, I see happening. Number one, demons cause problems. How many of you know that? They do. Angels of darkness cause problems. They cause dark problems. Uh, they cause disease. They cause illness. They can cause convulsions. They, they're doing all these things when we see this in Scripture. Number two, demons know who Yeshua is, who Jesus is. They know who he is. They call him the Holy One of God. And then number three, we see demons often run in groups. In fact, I don't know if there's anywhere in Scripture where we just see one demon mentioned. There might be. But we do see that demons often run in groups. They, split, they speak in the plural. I find that very interesting. They say we. They say us. They speak that way to Jesus. And then number four, Jesus didn't use magic, but divine authority to get rid of the demons. He had authority over them. And then number five, Jesus' healings and exorcisms are demonstrations of power that perfectly align with his teaching on the kingdom of heaven. What is the teaching on the kingdom of heaven? It's the restoration of creation. So if Jesus has come, if the good news is that Jesus has come to restore all things, to bring people into salvation, to pay the penalty for our sins, he has also come to bring us out of this despair out of this affliction and into his freedom and so what you see jesus doing immediately even before he dies on the cross is you see him getting rid of demons you see him healing people 
you see people coming to him and being restored and set free. And you see freedom being spread around the people that are around Jesus. That hasn't changed. Amen? How many of you know that we're called to live in freedom? How many of you know that God wants us to live a little bit like it's heaven on earth right now? Does that mean that we're, we're always good, we're never sick, we never have despair? No, I'm, you know, no. But it means that God sets us free from a lot of things. That we're not supposed to be oppressed by demons. We're not supposed to have anything happening like that in, in our lives. And that we have authority to ask in Jesus' name. Not my authority. I never say, hey, by the power of Ben living the right way, do this. No. What I say, in the name of Jesus, this is what I'm asking for. And when we do that, we're not like saying magical words. What we're doing is bringing Jesus into the situation. And whenever we see Jesus show up in the situation with demons, what happens to the demons? They have to go away. They can't stay. Whenever we see Jesus come into the situation, we see healing. Did he heal everyone? When we look at that verse, it doesn't say that he healed everyone. He said he healed many. In fact, there's other verses where he said he only healed a few people in his hometown because it was, it was difficult there. So just because I'm not healed all the time doesn't mean that God can't heal. You with me? Because it's the same reckoning again that we talked about earlier. Just because there is evil in the world doesn't mean there isn't good. There are both of these things. The other thing I have to realize is I do not know how many times God has set me free from something I didn't even know about. I don't know how many times God has saved me from a car accident. I don't know how many times that Jesus has helped me with something and I didn't even realize it. You with me? How many times has God set your foot on the right path and you didn't even know you were ready to fall off the cliff? You don't know this side of eternity. I think one of the things that's going to happen to us when we go into our next life, when we get to heaven, is that God is going to show us how often he was there, even when we felt alone. That we're going to see that Jesus was with us the whole time, that the Holy Spirit was walking with us, that he protected us, that he healed us many times that we didn't even realize were being healed. That he restored our souls. So I believe that good exists. I believe that God is still doing good. I believe that the work of Jesus Christ, when we look at these verses, is still happening today. How do I know that? Because I see it happen around me. I see the change in your life. I see the change in my life when I walk with Jesus. So if I decide to become a disciple of Jesus, and if I decide I'm walking with Jesus, then I start to see Jesus do the work that he did in the New Testament in my life and those around me. And I start to experience some of these things happening. I start to see that God is moving. I start to see that Jesus is still setting the captives free. He's still bringing salvation to people. And the Holy Spirit is still doing that work of reconciliation between us and God the Father. How many of you are grateful for that? I am. So, do demons still exist? How many of you think evil still exists? Then I'm telling you, they're still out there. Does good still exist? There's still a war going on, guys. There's a battle. Every time you get up, you, you wonder why your faith is hard, why you're battling things. Because every day you get on, up, you have to put on the armor of God because we are in a battle. It's a, the, the victory's already been won, but we're going through these little skirmishes. It's not 
by my works that I walk out and fight. It's through the power of Jesus Christ. So if you ever run into a situation where you have to pray for somebody and you want to pray for their healing, you're not just exercising your own faith. What you're doing is exercising the power of God. So when I pray for somebody to be healed, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I've seen people healed and I've seen people not healed. Here's what I do. I ask Jesus to do what he wants to do and show up and do that work. So I'm asking for God to do the healing. I'm not doing it. I'm not a faith healer. I'm not, I'm not somebody who says, oh, you know, if you pay me $100, I'll pray for you and for sure you'll be healed. That's not what we see in scripture at all. What we see instead is Jesus is doing this work. And even um, the disciples and the apostles, when they go out, they're going out in the authority and the calling, and they're doing what Jesus told them to do. So when we pray for others, and when we have our, our uh, deacons, our elders, our pastors, whoever it is, pray for us, they are not just praying for you. They're asking that God would come into your life and do something. It's very different. It's very different than us just exercising our own power. We're not exercising our own power. We're calling Jesus to come into the situation and fix it. You with me? Does that make sense to anyone? I got a head cold, so you got you to gotta speak up to me. I, I, so here's what I'm doing. I'm not saying that you have to have this supernatural ability to do what Jesus did, because what I'm telling you to do is call Jesus into your situation. I'm, that's what we do. When we say in Jesus' name, you know, it was a song we sang last night. Not, not last night, last week. Wow. We, we say that. We say, Jesus, stand in and fix this situation. Lord, help us. And so just the same way that these people were showing up to the feet of Jesus, you have a chance to show up to the feet of Jesus and be healed. You have a chance to show up to the feet of Jesus and have your minds restored. You have a chance to show up to the feet of Jesus and, and get rid of that oppression. You have the chance to show up to the feet of Jesus and experience his freedom and his life. How many of you believe that still happens today? That's why we baptize. That's why we see salvation. We see people loosed of their past, and we see them set on the right path for his name's sake. So when I look at the ministry of Jesus, what I want to do is I want to see Jesus' ministry continue through his church. I want to see us as believers in Christ to have enough faith in the word of God that we read about what Jesus did and have enough faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit that we call him into our situations. So when we're praying for somebody to be healed, I'm not trying to heal them. You're not trying to heal them. You're asking God to heal them. You with me? And you're placing whatever your situation is into the hands of a loving father. You're placing whatever your situation is into the hands of Jesus Christ and in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And if we do that, if we do that, then we will experience the good and perfect will of God. That's what we should do. So when you have a situation in your life, pray over it. Say, Lord, can you come into this situation? Jesus, can you heal me? I'm going through this cold. I'm going through this virus, whatever it is. I don't know exactly what it is, but you know what it is. Jesus, can you heal me? Will you allow me the strength to do what you're calling me to do? And I pray this. I pray this over my kids. Do my kids always experience healing like this? No. Is that going to stop my prayer? No. But here's what I'm doing. I'm asking Jesus to do what he wants to do in that situation. How many of you have prayed for somebody before in that way? You've asked for that. Good. 
Keep it up. Amen? The next section of Scripture we're going to look at next week, it says that Jesus heals many. (laughs) And it goes on to talk about all of the healings that happen. And it goes into greater detail of what this, this occurs. I want you to know that I fully believe that we're still in the time of Scripture that we read about. You know, we have technology, we have physical answers, and we have everything else, but I'm telling you that sometimes we're dealing with stuff we don't understand. We're dealing with darkness, and we're dealing with light. And we need to ask Jesus to come into that situation and bring freedom. Amen? I'm going to ask my deacons to come forward this morning. I am not going to be laying hands on anyone today. But I'm going to ask my my deacons to come uh, forward this morning because when we pray for others, we're asking Jesus to step into that situation. And I don't know if you have a prayer need or a prayer concern, but if you have a need or you know somebody else that you're praying for, I want you to have somebody stand in agreement with you. Because all throughout Scripture, we see that the disciples were sent out in twos. They were sent out in pairs. They didn't, they, they didn't go solo. They traveled together and they prayed together. And I believe that there's something to that. I believe that that's what we're called to do. So I know you guys don't want to stand up when I'm talking to you, but deacons and Greg, come on, come on forward. I'm going to close in prayer. We're not going to have a closing song unless you really want me to sing. (laughs) No. But we're going to have music playing afterwards. And maybe there's something in your life or in your heart when you're listening today you you just wish that you could bring to Jesus. When I read that verse, you know what I wish I could do? I wish I could walk to where Jesus physically is, stand in front of him, and ask for things. The truth is, though, we can still do that. Because Jesus is with us right now. It says wherever two or three are gathered, there he is in the middle of them. I believe Jesus is here right now. Amen? When you stand up, you can stand up. I'm going to close this out in prayer. We have our offering box in the very back. If you want to give towards that or if you want to give online, you can do that. I think I'm skipping over announcements here, Joy. I'm sorry. We're going to just skip over that. It's an unusual Sunday. If this is your first time here, you've got to come back next week because maybe it'll be more normal. Who knows, though? Only God knows. Amen? It is exactly what it was meant to be. God knew this was going to happen. I fully believe in the providence of God. All right, let's pray. I want to extend a prayer of blessing over you. And really, if you want some prayer over something that's happening in your life, if you're feeling that something is attacking you, if you have something that is going wrong, and you just want prayer. It doesn't have to be something major. It could be just you're not feeling well or you haven't felt well. Uh, I want you to come forward for prayer today. It doesn't mean we're going to try to cast out demons. It means we're going to ask Jesus into, into the situation. We're going to ask him to intervene and do something, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for everyone in here right now. I ask that you would bless them, that you would speak to them, that you would share your love with them, Jesus, I know it's your love and compassion that draws us to you. And Lord, I know that you have power and authority still. You have not weakened. You're exactly the same God you were then. And Jesus, I ask you to show up in our situation, in our lives and in our hearts, in every part of us, that we would begin to to think the way you think. We would begin to work the way that you work. We would begin to do the things that you did not on our own authority, but in the name of Jesus. 
Lord, we ask that you would pull us into your story, that you would pull us into your place that you want us to be, and that we would be strengthened throughout this week. Lord, I pray that these scriptures would inspire us and and further our faith, that we would go back to these and we would see that we're called to do the ministry of Christ as the church together. Jesus, I thank you that there is good, and I thank you that you are the good that exists. I ask that you would continue to minister to us today. Lord, heal those that are sick. Set free those that are in bondage. And help them to declare the word of the Lord over their life. Help them to see Jesus set them free. Help us all to experience that grace abundant. Help us experience that salvation that you've given us but also experience the salvation of our little battles. Give us victory in the name of Jesus. We ask for it. And everyone said, amen. Amen. If you would like prayer, please, please come forward and receive that prayer. God bless you. Have a great week.